You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkin. What's up, everybody? Hope you're holding yourself together okay, because uh, I, someone told me it was like the elections are in like 36 days or something like that. That just makes <clears throat> makes my head spin, and uh, frankly, I don't even know what to do with that information, with all the other information that comes in a daily basis. But I hope you are safe and well, and whatever it is that you're doing while you're listening to this, uh, I, I also hope is uh, safe. You know, don't don't listen to this while you're uh, doing something risky. I mean, unless that's like you and your thing. But anyways, I digress. You are here to talk about independent music. We're here to discussion about independent music, and that's what we are here providing you. Today's guest is uh, one I'm very happy about because she is one of my favorite photographers around. <laughs> and you're gonna hear my dog. She, I, I got a new puppy, so you know she'll she'll squeak in the background whether you like it or not. Anyways. Danielle Parsons. She is an incredible photographer. I've followed her work for quite some time. And, uh, you know, she takes part in a lot of uh, punk and hardcore. I mean, that's the world that she comes from. She's toured with bands. She's part of the uh, To the Front DIY culture, you know, highlighting females and people of color in regards to, um, you know, just showcasing their work on a more real level. And uh, yeah, anyways, I wanted to have her on the show for quite some time. We made it happen, and uh, it was great. So uh, I got that to bring you in a moment. But you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I promise I read your stuff. I will respond. Sometimes it's a little bit slower than I would like, but you know that's, that's neither here nor there. I promise I will get to you. And then uh, you can also support the show, please, by sharing it to the people who you think need to listen to it, whether it is friends or family or on social media, tagging the guests, however you feel comfortable sharing that. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I love it when I see people tag other people on Twitter or Instagram or whatever the case may be. 
and uh, it's 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 a really meaningful thing because this show has existed for over eight years now, and we're in like four hundred some odd episodes. And it's a, uh, it's a real labor of love. Like I love doing this, you know, I make a little money off of it, but you know, by no stretch of the imagination, am I, uh, you know, retiring off this thing, but, uh, it's music. Music keeps me coming back to this thing. Even as I, well, when I publish this, my birthday will be tomorrow and, uh, I will be 40 years old, which is, you know, I guess a, a landmark birthday as they say, but, uh, to still care about this stuff that I got into when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, it says something to me. And, uh, I just want to give back as much as I have taken from this awesome community. So anyways, that's that. Um, yeah, let's talk to Danielle. Okay. Great, great conversation. And of course, at the end of the episode, I will talk to you about what comes up next week. I first started to notice your, you know, your photos pop up. Uh, it was probably around 2010, 2011, I want to say, just based on the fact that um, I know, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 2010 was the year that I had Tiger's Jaw play Sound and Fury, I think. I could be wrong. Oh, but yes. Was that yes. The, the year of the motorcycle? Oh my gosh. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Anytime that, <laughs> yes, that was my first year working on it with, uh, with Joey Cahill. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was awful. And if I'm not mistaken too, Tiger's Jaw didn't even play, right? They were supposed no. to play. I think, um, that the motorcycle happened right when they were supposed to play. And then I, it, it, it was like, hey, that was my first time in California too, which is funny considering that's where I live now. But, um, sure. No, they didn't even play. They played um, that house show in Oxnard. I remember it was like such a rush to get there. And then they played maybe two songs because I think everybody. The cops came. It. Yeah. Yes. They were <laughs> like, everything. right. They're like, we can't have 400 people jammed in this backyard <laughs> without having someone getting in trouble. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that's true. Yeah, I think there was like, if I remember correct, yeah, backtrack obviously is when the motorcycle came in, and then yeah, there was like five or six bands that didn't play, and uh, I'll never forget. Like after you know some of the things calmed down, I remember uh, Carl from Earth Crisis came up to me and was like, "Hey Ray, do you do you like know of anywhere we could play?" And I'm just like, "No." <laughs> No, I don't, dude. I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm losing my mind over here, bud. But, like, I'm telling one of my heroes in hardcore that you can't play a show. This is just hurting my heart. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's just when I remember seeing, like, your name pop up and, you know, me being like, oh, wow. Like, that's, you know, that's some interesting and compelling work. Um, and, and to me, it seems like, you know, most of the stuff that you have done in relation to music, uh, you know, it seems like the work that you do with friends seems to kind of uh, resonate the most from a public perspective where it's like, you know, these bands that, you know, completely trust you to, you know, take whatever silly or candid photos or live photos of them. Um, do you believe that kind of the personal relationship and like the closer you are with uh, people in taking their photos helps? Or is it one of those things that you're like, well, it helps, but it's not like the, you know, end all be all. Um, <clears throat> I think it goes both ways. Um, there are people I'm really good friends with who uh, hate having their photos taken, you know, who I've known like my entire life and get really embarrassed and don't know what to do. And then there's people who 
um, yeah, I definitely think that it creates, I think having the, the interpersonal relationship definitely, you know, creates a comfort level there. Like I know for me it does too. Like, you know, there's only a couple of my friends. I'm like, yeah, you can take my picture. Nobody like everybody else. No, please. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. Right. Where do I put, where do I put my hands? What, oh, what do I do? Worst. Like, I don't know. Like, what do I do with my hands? I'm like, okay, let me just tell you, let me move your hands for you. <laughs> right, right. And, and something that I, I do notice as well, just in, you know, uh, the people that I've surrounded myself with and the photographers from, you know, a studio perspective and live perspective, it does take that uh, directorial talent to be like, hey, do this, you know, move here, uh, you know, move this side of your body over here. Did Was that a difficult uh, thing or I guess skill for you to learn how to be kind of authoritative like that? And, and I don't mean authoritative like, you know, you're a dictator on set or anything like that, but, you know, being able to guide people. Yes, absolutely. That was something that um, when I was younger, like in my early 20s that I was terrible at, I remember uh, there was a photo shoot that I like bombed that stuck with me for, I mean, to this day where, um, you know, it's one of those things where I was it, it was like a shoot where I was shooting with friends, but we were also on set of their music video. So the shoot wasn't really a priority, but um, that's kind of when I was like, okay, like I, I got to do something differently. And um, it really kind of wasn't until I moved to LA um, and I got a really crappy uh, mall photographer job. It's this weird company that were, they were kind of trying to, recreate the um the photo studio I guess and make it accessible to everyone um and that business model was like 10 minute photo shoots and you have to be quick on your feet you have to give all the direction um to complete fucking strangers sometimes they're (laughs) psychopaths with kids or just a lot of stage moms or just somebody who is awkward and needs headshots for LinkedIn. Um, so it really wasn't until I got thrown into the fire at that job that I feel like I developed, I guess, a newfound confidence for direction. Um, cause there had, you know, uh, there, I shot, uh, me without you, I like really long time ago. And I just remember being terrified that whole shoot. And I like could not tell them what to do. And <laughs> if, you look at, if you look at the photos, they're laughing in like half of them. Uh, so it was just, yeah, it was something yeah. I had to develop. And like, I'm kind of, I'm like kind of getting sweaty thinking about giving people direction. Now. <laughs> well, it is, I mean, it's something that you don't consider until you are in the middle of it. And like, you're talking about where when you have that experience of like oh damn like I messed that up because I didn't you know say these things and I just kind of like let them stand there against a wall or something like that and that is a skill that I obviously have to focus on and learn you know rather than just being like any other photographer that's like oh yeah here we are here's a colored wall so stand in front of it yes oh yeah. god yeah what, what, so what did you, and this isn't, uh, you know, trying to embarrass you or anything like that. What did you find, uh, you know, when you were kind of failing at that? Like, w- was it just the fact that you didn't, uh, I guess, communicate anything and you kind of just like let bands, you know, do whatever they want? Or what, what did you feel like your, uh, I guess, weakness was from that perspective? I think just 
lack of confidence and not feeling comfortable giving direction. I guess also not wanting to come off as a complete bitch and be like, hey, shut up, do this. <laughs> right. which, is, which is actually what you need to do when you're shooting a group of people because a lot of the time, like, you know, someone's got their eyes closed or is making a weird face. So, like, you kind of really have to to stay on top of them. So it's definitely, especially I think being, you know, a young woman, well, I'm not really young anymore, but I was, but, you know, photographing, you know, people I've looked up to and I've listened to and like asking them to do something just like I'm sweating thinking about it. Right. (laughs) And especially too, where, because you are, when you're connected to, you know, the independent music community and, you know, you know, you're going to be seeing these people again, it's a much different story than, you know, maybe you walking into a scenario in which I'm going to take a a photo of you and do this shoot, but I'm never going to see you again. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. probably that's probably much easier to do. I mean, like you said, you're thrown into a, a mall scenario and it's just like, oh, whatever, like, let's get this done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Those were I mean, those were the times when I felt the most confident, like, oh, Joe Schmo needs five LinkedIn, you know, photos taken and he's wearing like sweat shorts on the bottom, but he has like a suit on top. So you know, yeah. all right, let, let me just get this guy in and out in five minutes. All right, let's do a couple poses. All right, you're good. Bye. You know, I'll never yep. see you again. So those are definitely when I had felt the most confident, but also, you know, not wanting. But I think also the the factor, the self-confidence factor or lack thereof with shooting people I know or look up to is like, what if I just say something wrong and I just completely fuck up and I ruin my reputation and I can, you know, never shoot with these people again. So I have crippling anxiety. So those are the kind of uh, scenarios that, you know, play through my head right before a shoot. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) It's the, no matter what you are doing from a creative perspective, it's always that performance anxiety, whether it's, you know, playing in a band. There are very few people in my mind that, are doing creative things that don't have that, you know, switch that goes off in their brain where it's like, okay, even though I've done this a million times before, like I, I know where the, I know where the button's located for me to take this photo or whatever, but then you're, you're afraid that you're going to miss that or something, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so kind of putting the the focus, you know, more on, you know, you and your background. I mean, I know you were born and raised in the, uh, you know, Bucks County, correct? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yes. Um, which is a, you know, beautiful area. All of the, because uh, uh, my old band Taken, we used to do a ton of stuff with This Day Forward. And so we always like just, you know, hung out in that area because those dudes obviously live there. Um, and it's an interesting area because it's clearly it's close to Philly, but not Philly. So it's like this rural slash suburb slash close enough to a city where there's still culture. Um, did you kind of feel that way or notice that where it was like, the outdoor life mixed in with the, uh, oh, we're not like, you know, completely out in the boonies. Oh yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, and that's, that's funny you mentioned this day forward. I remember that was like all before my time before I was allowed to go to shows. Um, my parents were so strict and I guess now seeing everything that's kind of unfolded, you know, with people doing that, like, 
you know, guys in bands doing things they shouldn't be doing. I can completely understand why they wanted to protect me. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but no, but um, yeah, no, it's a very valid point where it's like, Oh yes. Especially, you know, when you're thrown into these scenarios in which like, Oh yeah, I'm a 15 year old person. Like I shouldn't really be hanging out with a 23 year old. And in most circumstances that would never be allowed, but at shows that is allowed. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, they wanted to keep me from that (laughs) for as long as possible. But, um, Because, I mean, I wasn't allowed to go to shows in Philly for a really long time. So, yeah, I mean, it was super nice to have uh, because it was close enough to where, you know, we could have bands from New York and come by. And then, uh, you know, all the Wilkes-Barre kids kind of started traveling down. Um, But, yeah, it definitely like it definitely has its own little culture. Like there used to be... uh, God, we used to have like Doylestown first Fridays and like, you know, you could just walk around and see, you know, bands perform and and stuff like that. So that was also kind of like a little taste of getting to see live music without being able to go to shows. So this, does that answer your question? No, it, it, it does, because I, I do think that they're especially I mean, you know, now that you've had an experience not only traveling around the country, but living in Los Angeles, I, I think people that don't have that experience of you know, the, you know, smaller town separate from a suburb experience. It's very, you know, it's weird for people just to be like, wait, like this is only, you know, 40 minutes from Philly yet. It feels like a completely different world, you know? Absolutely. And yeah, there's, you know, a train right in Doylestown (laughs) there. It's the last stop on the R5, which I don't think it's called the R5 anymore, but on the, you know, SEPTA Doylestown line. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's really accessible to Philly as well. And, you know, even New York city, there's a couple buses that I don't know if they still run, you know, from Doylestown to New York, but yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, so it was easy. It was a nice little place to grow up and you weren't too far from, you know, big cities. So, but it, it definitely is very much a small town where it's very conservative, a lot of white people that are crazy conservative and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, the rural upbringing like that definitely, um, you know, permeates through a lot of different places, you know, beyond just Bucks County. But yeah, I I completely understand. And what was your family structure like growing up? Like mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters? Yeah, my mom and my dad. um, I have an older brother who's like about four years older than me. So um, it was good. I mean, it was pretty normal. Both of my parents had pretty tough childhoods. So they were just really focused on, you know, being good parents to my brother and I, making sure we went to quote unquote good schools and like all that kind of, you know, stuff I guess parents at that time were really concerned with. Sure. And did you, um, you know, like, did, did you have a close relationship with your brother? Were you guys piling around a lot or did you kind of, you know, go on your own path, so to speak? Um, it kind of, our dynamic was kind, it kind of changed a lot. Um, you know, we would play video games together and like, you know, we had a super Nintendo, we were always, you know, playing on that together. And then he got a little bit older and then, that's when we kind of 
you know, fell off, but then like he got me into some music and we were close again and then he went away to college. So it was really kind of like up and down. Um, and I think, you know, four years is, it seems like a really big age difference when you're like a kid, but now it's not. Uh, so we're, we're, we're close now, but you know, it was kind of up and down growing up. Sure. That makes sense. I mean, four years that, you know, is theoretically a entire, you know, high school career. So, you know, when you're a freshman, he is leaving college. And so that, you know, I could see where that is like, I'm not gonna hang out with my little sister, you know, she needs to do her own thing. Or I I just, you know, I want to do my own thing. Oh, yeah, totally. But then, uh, you know, when I turned 21, um, and I lived in Philly. We both love hockey. So he would take the train down and we go to, you know, Flyers games like a couple times a month and we got really close again. So that was always like a really fun thing that we used to do together. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, what your parents do for a living? Um, my dad, well, my dad's had a lot of jobs. My dad was a mortician. Um, when he lived in New York and met my mom and then he, now he owns a logistics company. Um, my mom used to be an artist and then she had to give that up. Or so she says when she had me, she, owned her, <laughs> she gives, you, know, gives you a guilt trip. Hey, <laughs> Danielle. <laughs> I have, fuck you. <laughs> she owned um, a stencil shop in Doylestown, which I think is so cool. I wish she never gave that up, but um, she was a secretary at, Doylestown Hospital for a while. So she's kind of always had like, you know, some office jobs, stuff like that when she wasn't uh, home with my brother and I, but she's retired now. So good for her. Got it. Got it. And uh, I'm just presuming by the kind of description of your upbringing that, you know, it was pretty kind of average as far as, you know, suburbs, that sort of, uh, you know, upbringing where you, you had, I mean, would you just because of your mentioning the fact that you couldn't go to shows like were your parents, uh, I guess, overprotective over you and then kind of let your brother do whatever he wanted or or was it kind of both of you guys kind of felt that? Um, well, I was always a little bit more adventurous than my brother. Um, you know, I was like, well, I started listening to music and I was like, well, I want to go to a show like I want to go see bands play. Um And my brother didn't want to do any of that stuff. You know, he wanted to go play sports with our neighbors or like, you know, go to a friend's house or whatever. I was always kind of the one that wanted to do the thing that my parents really had to think about. Oh, like, should we let her do that? Should we not? But they were they were very, very protective of me. Um, They still are, um, (laughs) I guess, to an extent. But yeah, they were especially my dad. But I guess. I don't know. I think that's kind of how some, you know, suburban boomer parents are, you know, just really protective of the girl and not so much the boy, but I don't know. Band merch is something that is incredibly important to me. Like there was a kick for a good, I don't know, maybe two years. I was busy collecting old band shirts. So get started at the ground floor, go to rockabilia.com and buy all of your band merch. You can use this code PC100Words. That gets you 15% off your order. They are very efficient when it comes to customer service, shipping, all the things that you would hope a business does, they do in spades. Not to mention, this stuff is all officially licensed. So they're making sure the bands get paid. None of this horrible bootleg stuff that you know exists. You see it and you're like, 
quality on this is pretty spotty, or is the band even getting a cut of this? You don't need to worry about that at all in any way, shape, or form with Rockabilia. And plus, they cover so many different genres of music. They don't care if it's metal, emo, pop, hardcore, punk, whatever it is, as as long as it falls under... the music genre, they will stock band merch from it. And they also have cool exclusive designs as well. So please visit rockabilly.com. Use the code PC100Words. That's the number, 100, and you will get 15% off your order. PC100Words, 15% off your order. Do it up. Thank you, as always, Rockabilia. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Was there any sort of, uh, I guess, you know, religious trappings with, uh, you know, your family structure? Because, you know, sometimes that leads into the overprotectiveness like, oh, you you can't go to this show because, you know, clearly that's the devil's music or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's 
It's interesting because, yes, there was. I grew up Catholic. I got every fucking sacrament you can imagine. <laughs> Same with my brother. Uh, we went, we, you know, went to Catholic school. Um, but my, my, you know, they weren't, my parents weren't like, oh, you can't listen to a certain type of music. You know, when I got in, when I started getting into punk in middle school, that was, that was when it became an issue. But before that, it was like, you know, like... They weren't super crazy. I think they just wanted my brother and I to, I guess, go on the right path, quote unquote. But they weren't like, oh, you know, rock is the devil's music. It wasn't like some Detroit Rock City type stuff. Right, right. Yeah. As long as you were kind of pulling your weight with, you know, grades and stuff like that, they weren't going to check in on you too much about, you know, the the art you were consuming or whatever. Yeah, but... Nah, I, yeah. I wasn't, I, I, I was, I, I got, eh. yeah, but I was pretty bad in school, you know, like be like with grades and with my yeah. behavior. So I was always getting in trouble. I just like, I fucking hated Catholic school. I hated nuns. I hated like, you know, I thought it was all a joke. I would get in trouble all the time for laughing during prayer and I was considered a bad kid and. So You're a, a, a rebel by nature, it sounds like. I guess so. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I had a a teacher who sat my friend's parents down during a bit like parent teacher conference, and we're like, you know, that Danielle Parsons, she's a bad example. Don't let your kids hang out with her, which is super funny to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were you're definitely the uh you know the the person in the corner where it's just like, oh yeah, like you know, she's she's the one you gotta watch out for. <laughs> Pretty much. I just, you know, I had a sense of humor. I liked fart jokes. I thought horrible, like I thought inappropriate things were funny, you know what I mean? I had like the you know, I guess fart fart sense of humor. Sure. That, you were pro- yeah. probably sarcastic too. Oh yeah, very sarcastic. So I was always <laughs> in I was always in just all sorts of shit. Right. I mean, did you, did it progress so much to where, you know, like you were getting in trouble with the law and stuff like that? Or was it just, you know, general uh, teenage mischief? General teenage mischief. But I remember, um, so like one of the things to do in growing up in Doylestown was like hang out in Doylestown borough and just kind of like walk around and like do whatever on like, you know, a Friday or Saturday night. And I remember there was a one period of time where the cops were just like always up our asses. And I remember I got a citation for sitting on a sidewalk. <laughs> just like dumb shit like that. And I was like, okay, I, I just like sat down. Like, what the fuck? And I didn't tell my parents because I was like, this is so stupid. I think I was like maybe 14 at the time. And my dad got a call from like the police department and was like, why didn't you tell me you got a citation? And I, and I was like, who the fuck cares? I didn't say that, but I was like, I was right. like, I don't understand why I got in trouble for sitting on the sidewalk. Like, you know, instead of like being like, Oh, sorry. And kind of, you know, accepting the fact that I guess I did something wrong. I would be like, fuck that. I don't understand. So I was always kind of pushing, you know, yeah, you're finding your boundaries. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. how about you could get away with, yeah, before Absolutely. things got really serious. Got yes. it, got it. Uh, so were you kind of, uh, you know, a, a, a sports girl? Were you kind of like, I mean, clearly it's like it, 
you were saying, you know, school wasn't something you were horribly interested in. Um, you know, what kind of, I guess, person did you find yourself uh, being, you know, besides the, you know, sarcastic one in the back of the room cracking jokes? Um, I mean, I played dodgeball my freshman year of high school. Nice. <laughs> Um, that was really fun. Um, but I, I was also a cheerleader in middle school. Like I've always had a soft spot for cheerleading. I played softball. So I was kind of like, you know, sort of into team sports, but also, you know, starting to listen to, you know, punk and hardcore and stuff. So I was kind of, I guess, in the middle of those two things. Right. Yeah. And how, I mean, cause it sounds like you got exposed to, you know, independent music at a pretty early age, like 13 or 14 years old. Uh, how did that even come into your orbit? I mean, I know that that area, you know, and being connected to Philly, like there was a lot of stuff happening at that time. Uh, but you know, how did it get introduced to you? I don't, I don't even know. There was never, it kind of just gradually happened over time. Um, my best friend in middle school, her older sister was like, you know, into punk and, you know, the drive through records label oh, at yeah. that time, how big of that course. was. So she was always taking her sister's like big CDs and, you know, bringing them over and we were listening to them together. And I was like a crazy insomniac in middle school, too. So I remember I would one summer I stayed up every night until like three or four just watching all things rock and like subterranean on MTV too, just waiting to hear something new. Um, Cause uh, I think there was, there was like Napster and LimeWire and stuff, but I was, I, I broke like three family computers. So I was banned from, from downloading (laughs) music or doing it. How did you you break three computers? (laughs) is a lot, Danielle. How did you break three of them? I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. Like, I, I guess I would download stuff. Like, I would try to download music, and then there would be a virus. And, virus. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like Windows back in the day. It was just oh yeah, finicky. Um, yeah. but then you know, I started spending a lot of time at Siren Records. I would, which is an amazing independent music store in Doylestown. Um. And they've been around forever, but I would spend hours there just, like, picking out CDs and, like, trying to find new music. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of kind of was just, like, a little slow kind of gradual process. There was n- no really, like, aha moment like most people seem to have. Right. It was kind of one of those things where it just started to kind of seep into your life, but then unlike you know, other people, you start to get obsessed with it and you start to, you know, seek it out more rather than just kind of letting it be a part of your life. Oh yeah. I couldn't get enough of it. That's awesome. (laughs) And I, I really like the, uh, the notion too of, uh, you know, consuming music videos because like, you know, people of a certain generation, like that was so incredibly important. And it's not like you had the ability to just, you know, go to YouTube and watch any music video you could want. You had to wait around for it to maybe play a starting line video or whatever. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I remember, you know, watching all things rock. I think it was when Benji and Joel Madden from good Charlotte hosted. And that's where I heard the Deftones for the first time. Um, And I just remember like, that was like just not understanding what I was seeing 
But just looking at these music videos and being like, I want to do that. I want to work on music videos. I want to be behind the scenes. Like, I want to do shit like this. Like, this is so fucking cool. And it was, it was like a, I don't know. I look up, I look back on that time fondly because I feel like it's kind of rare to discover things you love that organically, not trying to sound like a pretentious, like old person, but just something about just stumbling upon something like that. And it's like life changing. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. It, it, it tickles. It, it's not like, you know, people like you or I, or, you know, many of our friends could really articulate at that time, like why we liked the things that we liked, but it was just like, it tickled something in your brain that was like, Oh my gosh, like, I feel like I've tripped on something that no one else knows about or whatever. And it just, it draws you in and you can't stop it. Like you can't stop thinking about it. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's how I like fell in love with Phoebe Bridgers too. I was on an assignment for Getty Images like four years, three years ago or something. And she was the opening act. And I was like, oh my fucking God. And like, that was the last time I was like, oh my God. Like I've been like, I haven't felt this way since I was young. Like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like just like discovering something like organically like that, like where it's right in front of you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't felt this way since I first heard Midtown. Oh my, <laughs> <That's>, right. Right. <laughs> um, and so it's interesting too, you articulated the fact that you, you know, you saw these music videos and you clearly were drawn to the visual medium of it, but you were like, I would love to work behind the scenes. Like that is an interesting thought because, you know, usually, I mean, regardless of gender, people could get kind of drawn to the idea like, Oh, I'll like, play in a band, whatever that may mean. Like, not like on the same level of these musicians that you're watching on MTV. But, um, you know, did that, did the idea of like playing in a band make no sense to you whatsoever? But the idea of being, you know, on the music video set kind of made more, I guess, practical sense to you? It's funny you say that because I did want to be in a band for a super long time. Um, I... Grew up playing guitar. My dad taught me and then I took guitar lessons and I took piano lessons. So I remember there was a summer. It was like I couldn't drive, right? None of my friends could drive. I was home all day. Um, My parents were working full time. Like nobody was around, just kind of so bored out of my mind. So I would just play the guitar for like hours a day. And I was like, damn, I want to be in a band. That would be so much fun. And then, you know... It, it, I, I kind of brought the idea to some people and it's like one of those things you talk about and it never happens. So I was like, I, I guess that was something I just didn't want as bad as I wanted, you know, to kind of be more behind the scenes, if that makes sense. Sure. And I, I also have horrible anxiety about, you know, doing things in front of people like doing piano recitals and cheerleading competitions and stuff like that was always just gave me intense panic attacks. So it it just was always kind of better for me to not be seen for my well, for my own well-being, I guess. Yeah, sure. You recognize the, um, where you found your comfort level and just the idea of, yeah, putting yourself in, in front of people from being on a stage was just something that you're like, well, I like the idea of it, but the actual execute, the actual execution of it is not something I want to do. Absolutely not. And like, you know, I've gone back and forth about like 
being in bands for years, but then it was just like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because, you know, you, you mentioned on more than one occasion in this conversation of the, you know, the anxiety of kind of putting yourself out there. And, uh, you know, there is like, I, I think especially within independent music, um, you know, people that uh, get, you know, recognized for their photography have to in some way, shape or form be a public figure. Like, and a lot of it clearly has to do with like social media and, you know, the proliferation of, you know, having phones with cameras and stuff like that. But, you know, does the idea, this is something I was going to ask later, but it seems appropriate to bring it up now, you know, so how how do you kind of wrestle with that where it's like, you know, I mean, you have a substantial amount of people who are, you know, following you on social media and like, you know, viewing you as like, oh yes, I I like, you know, her and I like her photography as well. Um, And so in a weird way, you're a public figure, but you're not really, I'm sure that's stuff that resonates with you and you think about. Oh God. Yeah. And also (laughs) it's, I think I have a lot of like weird, like bot followers and like, not like bot, like like robot followers, you know what I mean? Sure. Like ghost followers. Like I don't under, I don't understand any of that. Like, I guess like the, that kind of component of it. Like, yeah, it's for like, to me, I'm like, okay, I have to put myself out there so I can get work. This is the only way I can get work. Um, which is terrifying. I mean, like I deleted Twitter because, you know, Twitter gives me anxiety. I'm, never on Facebook. I don't even use it. So I kind of just have Instagram and it definitely, I, I always wrestle with like, I really want to get rid of all my social media, but like, you know, Instagram or social media is how I get most of my shoots these days, like from word of mouth and artists I've shot with and people I've worked with. So it's, it's one of those things where like, I really don't want to be seen like at all, but you kind of have to, you have to have a presence. And uh, like when we did our very first to the front show, when it was just four of us, like all four of us were like, can we just go home? Like, we don't want to be like, we want to be here. And it's, right. it's not like we were ungrateful. I think it was, it was just, it's so overwhelming when you're so used to being behind the scenes to have something like that's, where you're seen, that's like kind of about you. So it's, it's so overwhelming. It's ugh, it makes my stomach like hurt thinking about it. Yeah, no, it, well, I mean, I appreciate you articulating that. Cause I think it is interesting where, you know, I mean, even people in bands, like there, there's that trade-off and that notion that like, yes, clearly I'll be recognized in some capacity, but you know, it's not like bands within our scene have the illusions of grandeur of being like, oh, like I'm going to be, you know, followed by paparazzi and stuff like that. But at the same time, like there are incremental levels in between those two that you do get recognized and you do do feel like the center of attention when maybe you don't want to be the center of attention and just that, that grappling that you have to do with it. Oh yeah. Even like, you know, when people are like, come up to me and they're like, oh, I love your photos. I'm like, no, you don't like, (laughs) can I talk you out of it? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I've had people come up to me or message me and say the nicest, like kindest things like to me about my photography. And I'm just like, no, you're lying. Like no way. Like, yeah, I don't believe you. 
I'm like, oh, God, this person probably thinks I'm a complete fucking asshole. But I really just this is so overwhelming to me and I don't know how to process it. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's a, you know, that's a very real thing. And, you know, I appreciate you, like I said, articulating it and, you know, putting it out there like that. Um, the, uh, in poking around about you, I find it hilarious that you won a photo contest for the Jones soda, you know, <laughs> thing. <laughs> like I just, I find it so funny cause I remember, you know, the, for whatever the early two thousands or whenever that happened, like that was such a thing, you know, it's like, Oh dude, like this band got on a Jones soda bottle. Like I, I, I want to say it didn't like, I think Thursday got on a, a Jones soda bottle and everyone was freaking out about it. But, um, how the hell did you get that? I just find it so funny. I don't, I don't fucking know. It was so bizarre. <laughs> so I had a really shitty, just, you know, one of the first point and shoot cameras. This was 2000 three or four. And I had also started experimenting with my, my mom's film camera um, that she gave to me. And so I would just get bored and I would take pictures of like whatever around the house. And uh, we had like a vintage baby grand piano and I took a picture of it. I made it black and white. And I remember like every day I would just take shitty pictures and submit them. Like you would have to upload them on the Jones soda website So I would do that just out of boredom. And then the worst photo I took got on the bottle. That is amazing. (laughs) It was like I could never find the bottle. It was it was like black cherry soda. But they sent me like they send you a bunch of labels. And like, you know, my mom still has them. I think I have one here. But yeah, they just randomly pick you and tell you. And it was just. I was like, this is so cool, but so weird. And I don't really understand this. And this doesn't feel real, kind of. Right, right. Did you did you get free Joan Soda besides just the, the actual labels? No, which was <laughs> kind of disappointing. Cause, yeah. Cause you I think that you get a case of it, right. <laughs> just of your stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'd been such a consumer of Joan Soda, you know, growing up. But no, but that was... That was so weird. That was one of like the that was like the first time I had been published, and I was like, "Oh, this is weird." Right? Yeah. It's like well, I don't. Looks like I'm putting this on my resume. I mean, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this, but cool. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and so then, you know, a, as you started to kind of combine your love for you know going to shows and being an active part of the scene, and you know taking photos of bands and stuff like that, um, I, I'm gonna guess that that. The, the logical conclusion of like taking photos of bands, like it was like right there. Like you didn't have to be like, Oh, you know, Oh, maybe I can take some photos after you've been going to shows for years. Yeah. It, um, I remember buying alternative press magazine, uh, when it wasn't the shit storm it is now. <laughs> yes. Um, but I remember like buying AP and just like, look like, for the photos and just being like, God, one day I'm going to do that. Like one day I'm going to shoot a magazine cover and like go on a tour and like shoot bands playing shows. Like I'm going to do that. And I just kind of, you know, I, I just threw caution to the wind and I, you know, some, I somehow made it happen. Um, but I, I remember like I was bringing my point and shoot to shows. I was putting the photos on my Zanga (laughs) and and on like my photo bucket. 
you know, which eventually became my Flickr and it just, it just happened. It, yeah, you know, people are, I get, you know, like aspiring photographers, like, how did you do it? And I'm like, dude, I was just, I, I was just a kid bringing a camera <laughs> to shows. Like, that's just, I don't know. I just did it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you uh, participate in your uh, yearbook for high school and stuff like that? I did. And I was awesome at it. <laughs> sure. I, I did. Um, I also was really fortunate that I was able to take film photography classes in high school as well. Um, so I got to like, you know, develop my own film and learn how to use a film camera. Um, but yeah, I was part of yearbook. I did a lot of like graphic design and photography and it was super fun. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, 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 I did that as well for my like junior and senior year. And it was one of those things where taking uh, film photography, I mean, at that time they didn't, we didn't have digital cause I'm old, but the, the, <laughs> the notion she, my yearbook photographer was so, or my yearbook, uh, you know, whatever teacher was so cool that she developed the roles of like shots that I would take at shows. And I'm like, you know, these are terrible. And I'm like, dude, like four of these photos are usable, but you're using the school's budget for this. But like, yeah, your book is such a uniquely awesome experience. I think when people, you know, cause most people look at it are just like your book. Why do you care about that? It's like, yo, it's pretty sick. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. It was just like, you know, my photography teacher at the time was, you know, in charge of yearbook club and she's so fucking cool. And, you know, it was just, I feel like it, it attracted a really good group of people that I otherwise maybe wouldn't have been friends with in high school, if that makes any sense. Oh, no, it totally does. Cause it puts a lot of people with different uh, ideas of what it means to be creative. And some people are like, Oh, I love like doing the layouts and other people are attracted to it for the photography and other people are attracted to it because, Oh, this seems like an easy credit or whatever. And then you oh, just yeah. throw them all in the room and yeah, they're like figure it out. Absolutely. Uh, when you did, because uh, the Tiger's Jaw tour that you did with them across the country was kind of like your first real long tour experience, correct? Oh, yeah. Um, I had gone out with um, um, a, like a couple months before on a small winter tour. That that was my first tour ever, but that just went to like Ohio and Canada. Um, but that full U.S. tour that summer, uh, I think it, yeah, summer 2010, that was my first big, that was my first tour. And that was my first time seeing the country really. That's awesome. Did you, uh, did you enjoy the touring aspect of it or was there, uh, elements that was like, Oh, this is not for me. Like, I'm not going to continue to pursue this whole like touring lifestyle. There were both. Um, I was, God, I think I was 19 at the time. Um, you know, I never traveled like that. I've never lived out of a van. Um, it taught me how to be low maintenance though, which was super nice and, and fun. Um, you know, sleep, uh, sleeping on people's floors and not being comfortable were definitely, you know, aspects of it where I was like, God, what the fuck am I doing? But <laughs> sure. But, you know, it made me want to tour and try to be a tour manager or like, you know, be a touring photographer full time or, you know, because I was taking pictures and doing, you know, merch on that tour. Um, so, yeah, it, it was pretty split down the middle for me. Like there were things I loved and things where I was like, oh, God, no. 
Right. This is, yeah, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> yes. But I was also, I was also just, you know, a 19 year old girl. You know what I mean? Like I had no idea what I was in for. Right. Yeah. You were just like, whatever, here's an experience. Let's do it. Yes. Um, Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And you, uh, did you graduate from Temple? Am I correct in that or no? Yes, I did. Okay. And it, it it sounds like, you know, once you started to really sink your teeth into the idea of photography, like you pursued that pretty relentlessly um, in ways that, you know, I, other people, especially from, you know, different creative disciplines might not think that school is like the way to go with it. You know, I mean, clearly I'm sure there are people in your life that are like, Oh yeah, like you know, I, I did this. I didn't graduate college with this or anything like that. But you know, you took the opposite route. Was it just because you had such an affinity for like you know, kind of developing your chops with that, or was it just kind of like, oh, I guess I got to go to college? It was more so like, oh, I guess I got to go to college if I want to get a, you know, a decent paying job. My parents had always instilled in my brother and I that like you have to go to college you don't really have a choice like you know we want you to you know have a good be able to make a good living and sustain yourself growing up and I was like well okay um which you know 
I'm super thankful and it was a great opportunity and I'm so glad I, I got the opportunity to go to college, but being 18 and being like, well, I want to be a photographer. Uh, I don't really know, you know, cause you're only so sure of yourself when you're, you know, 18 years old. Right. So, and I couldn't, I couldn't go to school for photography because, uh, the program at Temple was, um, you have to be able to draw and do like every other medium of art at the time. And I was like, well, I can't do any of that. I'm going to go to school for photojournalism. Instead. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know these other disciplines. Yeah. I, I didn't think I'd have to know all these. Oh God, no. And, uh, Brianna, Brianna Collins, uh, from Tiger Shaw, who, you know, was the first, you know, band I toured with. We were both in school at the same time. And I remember she, her major was photography and she showed me like her, uh, what she drew to, I guess, for part of her college application. And I remember being blown away and being like, yeah, I can't do that with my hands. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Sorry about that. Not going to be able to do that. No. And she's someone who's literally good at everything. And I say this, like she's the most talented person I know. Like she can draw, she can sing, she can take pictures. It's like she, she has it all. And I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to the other, the journal. (laughs) Bye. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I I can't compete with that. So uh, I'll go over here. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, and uh, you know, as you were, you know, kind of pursuing these things uh, and getting into stuff that, you know, your parents were undoubtedly being like, oh, I don't understand this music stuff and like touring Danielle, like this is really bizarre. How, uh, you know, I mean, clearly they didn't kind of swing the other direction where they were like, you're, you can't do this, Danielle. <laughs> you can't go on tour. I mean, by that time you were an adult, so, you know, you could do whatever you want, theoretically. But, you know, how did they react to you starting to bring all this, you know, weird stuff home and tattoos and all this stuff? That was a whole nightmare. Um, they weren't thrilled about, you know, me wanting to tour, but they were just like, well, I guess if you're going to do it, just do it. Uh, you know, be safe, whatever. Um, the tattoos were a whole other issue. (laughs) Sure. They were just so upset about that. And, you know, I, and like the music too, I remember I'm like, oh, hey mom, I'm going to go to this as hardcore (laughs) when I was like, God, I was like 18 at the time. And she was like, what is that? What is this as hardcore? What is all this shit? And just them not fully definitely kind of being like, why are you into this? Like, what are you doing? And, you know, I'm just like, I don't know. I just like it. I don't, I don't know how well, what else to say? Like, you know, so they didn't take super kindly to it. Like they definitely thought I was really weird and they definitely didn't understand it. Um, But now it's something that they're like, okay, now it makes sense. Like we get it. Like, Cause I've pretty much just been, you know, the same since I was in middle school, if that makes sense. I still like the same stuff. I pretty much dress the same, you know what I mean? Like, so it it wasn't, they definitely thought it was a phase. Yeah. Most parents that start to encounter this, like, okay, my child is bringing something home that I have no idea what this is or any context for it. 
hopefully they'll get over it in six months and then we don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Like my mom, uh, I remember her being like, why do you have to go to shows every weekend? And I was, cause at the time I didn't party or drink or anything. And I was like, would you rather me go to parties and get drunk every weekend? Like I'm 16 or whatever. And she just didn't say anything, but they definitely were not stoked about me going to shows every weekend. <laughs> but, sure. but I think it was something, you know, as time went on that, I wasn't getting in trouble. I wasn't doing anything, you know, hung out with the same people. So they kind of, they started to kind of like back off a little bit. Sure. Yeah. They, they saw that you weren't pursuing something that was like, you know, too harmful to you. It's like, well, I don't understand it, but it doesn't look like she's going off the deep end, so to speak. Yeah. Like my, my brother kind of, you know, was normal and did all the normal high school stuff and I didn't. So I, I, I think that they just didn't really know um, how to, I guess, take to that. Yeah. They're like, how do, how do we deal with this? Like this isn't, you know, there's no, uh, I mean, there's no playbook for being a parent in general, but there's definitely no playbook for being like, what is she, what do you, what do you mean? You got to go to Philly to watch a bunch of sweaty people in a room. Like, it doesn't make sense. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I got, I mean, this is a real simple question, but, um, what motivated you to, uh, come to LA? I, I, pres- I presume the pursuit of being like, well, I can't be in this area and, you know, kind of be the photographer I want to be, uh, or was there another motivating factor? There was another motivating factor. I was in a long distance relationship with a guy who was, you know, who lived here for most of his life. And it got really serious. I was uh, going to say about 25. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to move out there to be with this guy. Um, but, you know, if it doesn't work, you know, I know I can sustain myself out in L.A. You know, there's more opportunities for me to work as a photographer or even if I wanted to pursue um, another career path or anything like that. So I knew that, you know. I would be okay regardless of the outcome. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So it's like the putting yourself out here was for the relationship, but the fact that it's like, Oh, well, you know, clearly Los Angeles has a lot of things going on. So, you know, and it's not like I am, uh, implanting myself into a place that doesn't have any creative arts going on there because clearly that's not the case. Exactly. And I have like a good group of friends from Philly that live here too. Um, Cause it was one of those things I'd said, I was like, you know, if he lived in like Ohio or Virginia, I would have been like, Hey, I'm not moving there. But because it was Los Angeles, I was like, yeah, all right, let's see. Let's see how this goes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like if he lives in uh, North Dakota, it's like, uh, uh, probably, oh, yeah. probably not. Sorry, dude. <laughs> I mean, I like you and all, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, as you started to kind of, you know, get more, um, you know, for lack of a better term, like serious jobs within photography, like, you know, working at studios and, and, you know, experiencing all these different sides of what photography means. Um, what was, uh, you know, what were some of the surprising things that you were kind of, uh, uncovering, uh, aside from like, we were talking about the very top of the, the idea of you being like a director as you were doing these photo shoots? Um, God, I think, especially in Los Angeles, it's really who you know. You could be the most talented person, um, but if you don't know the right people, you probably won't get a shot, which was super 
daunting um, to experience when you're in like a new city and you don't really know a lot of people. Um, that it's crazy how a lot of places you have to have so much experience, but they don't want to pay you like a living wage as well, which is, which I, you know, I was kind of like, oh, so it's, it's more, I think just the, the cutthroat aspect of it. Um, I definitely kind of thought, oh, I'm moving to LA. Like I'm not trying to be a model or an actress or anything. I'm just trying to be behind the scenes. Like it'll be all good. Right. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was right. really, you know, it's, it was hard. It's been hard. Um, you know, I've accomplished a lot of things that I wouldn't have been able to do back in Philly, but it was not without a lot of crying. <laughs> sure. Like the, uh, the, the grind is real on both sides of the camera. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I think the idea of the, you know, life of a, a freelancer, regardless of the creative pursuit is one of those things that uh, needs, most people have some sort of rosy picture of what that may look like. It's like, oh, you keep your own schedule and all this other stuff. And it's like, uh, well, yeah, that may be true, but you also end up working, you know, really, really hard just to get on these places or just to crack open an opportunity for yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, I think what people don't see is a lot of crying, a lot of more rejection than you could ever imagine. Um, on top of like things really come and go. Like you, like, you know, back in January, I was working a lot. I was shooting, like doing so many shoots, doing really well. And then February, nothing like you're really busy for a period of time. And you're like, yes, I did it. Finally got my shit together. And then you're not busy for a period of time. And it's like, God, what am I doing? Why, why did I do this? Like, why didn't I just become a doctor or something? Like it's a lot of mixed emotions and it's, uh, it's not always, um, pretty. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, something I, I've, uh, the last thing I want to hit on was something that, you know, I really, uh, have been taken by with the idea, you know, to the front and, uh, just that whole thing that, you know, you and your friends put together, um, that feels not feels, but is obviously much larger than, you know, the collective unit that is, that is you ladies. But I just, um, I don't know. It, it, it feels something that is so, um, I guess, obvious for people to be like, well, yes, like, of course I'll work with my friends and of course we'll highlight each other and lift each other up. But then, uh, the way that you guys have gone uh, about it is, uh, not only, um, you know, inclusive to everybody that, you know, makes sense to be included in this group, but then also just being like, oh, this is bigger than us. Um, you know, as you were kind of like putting that together initially, uh, you know, was that always kind of the, the vision of being like, well, you know, like, like you were joking where it's like, you know, at the first event where it was like, well, no one look at us. Like we're, you know, yeah, our work is here. Like pay attention to that, but not, not so much pay attention to us. Was that always kind of the, the idea that like, oh yes, this collective unit is much more important than the individuals? Um, yes, but I will say, uh, I, Courtney, I think, stumbled upon a photo of the of you know me, Carly, Eric, and Courtney in a broken photo booth, 
uh, when we all, I had met everyone for the first time except Carly. I've known Carly for a while. And that was when, you know, to the front was kind of like just an idea and just this thing that we were going to do. And uh, no one, I mean, I, I really had no idea it would turn in to what it turned into. Um, and I had no, I had no idea that like, you know, today I woke up to see that our book sold more copies than Trap's last album. And, um, <laughs> perfect. you know, like Lindsay Burns, who's, you know, does amazing work with Paramore and Haley Williams, like is in this book with us and just, you know, seeing what it's turned into. I mean, I, I had no fucking idea. Like, sure. I, and I can go, go on so many tangents with this, but it, I, I definitely like, it's, it's like first and foremost, we've all become friends and it's just this amazing, like supportive group of people where it's like, Hey, like, you know, we help each other out. It's like, Hey, I can't do this shoot. Can someone else do it? Or I need an assistant or can you help me with this? Like, this is something I so badly wish existed when I was, you know, a teenage girl photographing shows and seeing other women doing the same things. And it's also nice because I feel like, you know, at least a lot of my generation, you know, women, uh, grew up seeing each other or we were taught to see other women as competition, um, other people as competition instead of like, Oh, you know, we could be a team. We could work together. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that it, it's been really life changing. I don't know. And yeah, it is, it's bigger than all of us. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. I, sometimes yeah. I can't, some days I like can't even comprehend it. Yeah. And I, I think, and honestly, that that's really cool that you can't comprehend it because I think you know, out of these really, really, you know, uh, granular ideas initially, where you're just like, oh yeah, like let's try this thing or whatever, and then you know, it, once it takes on more meaning to people beyond just the uh, you know initial core group of people that you may suspect be like, oh yes, of course, my friends are going to support me, and you know, of course the friends of those friends are going to support me. But it's like when strangers get brought in, that's when it's kind of like, oh, like th th this is meaningful to you and you have no clue who any of us are. You just like our stuff or like the the, the theme of what we were trying to get, get across. Oh my God. Yeah. It, it was crazy. Um, I remember our, our Philly show we had last fall, like, you know, we kept, the venue was at capacity a lot. Like people kept having to leave and then come back in. And same with, um, you know, the show we had that was part of Sound and Fury last year where I was just having a continuous panic attack the whole time because <laughs> I'm just like, there's a group, there's a line of people out the door. Like, what are you talking about? Oh my God, I need to go hide. This is crazy. Yeah, that's, no, it's, it's really cool. It's in the same way, like, you know, the same feeling that, you know, a band plays outside of their town for the first time and then someone is singing along that's like, wait, they know their words and that they don't, like, we don't know who this person is yet. They love us. Like, wow, that's really, really weird. Oh my God, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't imagine what that feels like. I'd probably throw up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, I can't handle that, you know? I can handle someone looking at my photo on a screen and because I don't, like, have to have that, 
face-to-face interaction with that person. God, but even that, I'm just like, ugh. like even <laughs> when I see people looking at my photos on the wall, I'm like, I have to turn away. <laughs> <laughs> and is it is it one of those things that I mean, you know, uh, the the self doubt always you know e- ekes into people's brains, regardless of the level of confidence they have. But is it one of those things where? is it a feeling of kind of like embarrassment for you that people are paying attention to something you're doing or where do you think that that, uh, I I guess, you know, that thought comes into your brain? Oh, it's embarrassment for sure. It's like, I, I don't really take myself seriously and, um, I, I, I'm kind like, I've always been kind of shy, but not really, but don't like, you know, to be the center of attention. So it's definitely just like, oh God, they're looking at me. Oh God, what are they thinking? Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. I need to walk away. I can't do this. Oh my God. No, I just want to be invisible kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, it sounds like, uh, you know, I, I'm just playing armchair psychologist here, but, uh, you know, you, you could probably talk to some people about that. <laughs> oh, the imposter syndrome is so real. I, there have been times when we're all like getting ready for a show and we're like hanging our stuff up and we'll all kind of look at each other's photos and be like, are you serious? Like I can't hang my stuff up next to yours. Like Angela Owens, I think I hung <laughs> my stuff up near hers one show and she had, she's, I mean, she, everyone's amazing, but she had this fucking picture of Casey Musgraves. And I was like, I, I gotta move. I gotta like, I can't, Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. It's, we're, we all are definitely, we, we really gas each other up, but there's definitely, I mean, I have horrible imposter syndrome so bad. Got it. Got it. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask was the, uh, where do you find yourself, I guess, uh, you know, most comfortable taking photos? Is it one of those things where, you know, the, the studio environment with a person that like you, you know, you don't know about it, like build me your ideal scenario. Oh my God. Um, I know it's a tough one. I apologize. (laughs) I mean, I would say someone I'm very comfortable with that is also very comfortable with me, but I mean, ultimately the person or people have to be comfortable. Um, And I would say, I mean, I really like doing stuff outside. Um, I'm not really, I don't love studios. They actually give me a lot of anxiety, but I think where the environment is, is less controlled and I kind of have to rely on, you know, nature. And I, I, I like to, I guess, be given crappy lighting or crappy location or something. And then, you know, have to work. Improvise. Improvise. Yes. That's kind of where I work best. And just the person has to be confident and, you know, open to ideas, but also have ideas of their own, I guess. Um, I did. Sure. I was collaborative nature. Yeah. Like I was really lucky when I was in Detroit. I got to work with this artist, Chloe um, Moriando, and uh, she's just like this awesome teenage you know 17 year old girl and she's so full of life and bubbly and the shoot was all on film and I was terrified but she was so like 
she had such a good, like, she was so positive. Like, she was super up- uplifting, like, super excited. So that was definitely, like, I'd say that whole scenario was, like, ideal. Like, she was so game for everything. She had her own ideas. And, yeah, it was it was awesome. So, you know, something something like that. It, ha- it, it can't be completely rigid, if that answers sure. your question. No, no, it does. I, I think that. I, I, the reason I ask is because, you know, when people kind of describe their ideal situations, it can be, um, you know, really illustrative over what they can accomplish when those ideal situations are not met, you know? And I think that that is really, uh, interesting to see that where it's like, oh, this is where the person is most comfortable, but look at the work that they're creating outside of that. And most of the time, you know, you're not having your ideal situation, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I feel like there really is no complete ideal situation. Um, I think you can make anything like look awesome and fun. Um, It just, I think the, the positivity and like the attitudes have to be there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, yeah. Otherwise it's a nightmare. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, (laughs) well danielle thank you so much i really appreciate you uh, having this conversation and it was uh yeah enjoyable for me to pick your brain for a bit yeah thank you for having me i hope i didn't go off on too many tangents i have like a bad habit of of doing that because i get very nervous So that was that. Thank you very much, Danielle, for, um, you know, she, she was a little nervous heading into this. She was like, I mean, she immediately agreed, but she was like, you know, I don't know if I can talk about myself for an hour. And I'm like, it's not really talking about yourself for an hour. It is, but, you know, it's just trying to highlight uh, why you care about the stuff you care about. So that's, uh, that, that, that's what that is. Next week, I have Joseph Rowland, who is the bass player for one of my favorite bands of the past I don't know. I guess we'll call it ten years. I mean, they've been they've been cranking out music for uh, probably since like I think twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. Paul Bear, he plays bass in Paul Bear, and uh, I they just released a record called Omens. I love it so so much, and uh, yeah, that's that's what we got next week. So until then, like I always encourage you, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.